Three, two, one. Welcome to the Let It Out podcast, where you can let out your deepest warranted or unwarranted opinions. Today, I'm co-hosted with Nassan. He's going to be letting you know what we're talking about today. So, yeah, we're going to bring y'all more COVID-19 updates to go with some demographics for COVID-19. And we're also going to discuss um, some of our basically personal ideas on ways to stay motivated and successful um, to go also with some stuff on like um, checking your phone in the morning. So now it's time for us to let it out. And like I was saying, we got more COVID-19 to start episode 14. Um, basically, it's still growing, still spreading very rapidly. The global case number is at approximately 1.9 million um, it's closing in on uh, the millions. The death total is at approximately 114,000. Um, the U.S. case total um, is at approximately 550,000. So like one quarter of the world's reported totals are from the U.S. And the reported death total of the U.S. is like 22,000. So the U.S. Um, death totals um, became more than um, any... Uh, country um, recently and um, only 10% of the U.S. cases are already closed Um, and even so the U.S. mortality rate um, of closed cases so far is like 41% uh, which has practically doubled the um, mortality rate of the world's closed case total so in the U.S. it's definitely being reported as the worst. New York surpassed all countries reported case totals and um, the total number of reported case totals for New York is like 190,000 it's closing in on 200,000 um, the top five US states with the most cases are New York New Jersey Michigan Pennsylvania and Massachusetts so some states moved up like uh, Pennsylvania and Massachusetts um, and just to put it all into perspective I'm like I was saying the US um, is reporting the most totals So um, the number of reported U.S. tests is actually double the number of any country outside of the combined. So the U.S. is reporting way more tests. So like uh, before we were discussing like skewed numbers and so on, and the test numbers for the U.S. kind of make it seem like um, the numbers might be, yeah, more skewed. And even in the U.S., the numbers might be kind of skewed. I read of um, people dying so quickly in New York it being difficult to even test them and so on. So yeah, I just want to keep it into perspective. It's being reported as the worst in the U.S. by far, but the U.S. is also reporting way more um, than most countries. So yeah, just to keep it into perspective. Um, Some good news. um, Wuhan reportedly ended its lockdown on Wednesday, April 8th. And as the number of reported cases and death dwindled to zero so zero deaths were reported for um, Wuhan and China I believe also during the week people are still encouraged like even with like the death totals being at zero people are still encouraged to minimize the time going out and the businesses are still to abide by regulations for working with the public like um, sanitary um, practices and um, face covering and so on the reported total for the Hubei province um, which encompasses Wuhan basically um, ended at like 67,000 total cases um, reported, uh, while the numbers for the rest of China are drastically less. So like 
Um, China reported like 85,000 cases and 67,000 of them were from Wuhan. So basically all of China's reported cases are from Wuhan. Um, the numbers for Wuhan are basically more than like all of the U.S. states that New York um, and maybe even New Jersey are like the only places with more. New Jersey was closing in on it. Um, it might surpass it soon. But yeah, um, basically all of China's reported cases were from Wuhan and they are finally starting to open it up. It's been like three months. So um, like I was saying before, the U.S. case total for New York or the New York case total um, surpassed all countries totals. And um, the reports are telling of New York cases maybe originating from Europe. Um, people expected it, or at least some people probably expected it to be from China, but um, tracing made it seem like cases are maybe coming from or originated from Europe. Um, so yeah, um, on Tuesday, April 7th, um, the director of national of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, um, we talked about him earlier um, during some previous episodes, Dr. Anthony Fauci claimed he thinks we should never shake hands again because of the coronavirus. He was saying <laughs> the two yeah, most important parts of assimilating back into society or continually um, regular and regularly um, vigorously washing hands and avoiding shaking hands with people um so yeah um you laughed um i feel like that's, never that's shaking anyone's hands is Fantastic. too far fantastic um, i'm i usually give people the good old head nod you know yeah or <laughs> the fist bump the fist. i'm not bumping anything with anybody man <laughs> head nod it is but uh <laughs> go ahead finish up yeah, um, never touching anyone's hand again is, um, like I was saying, kind of far just because, like, like would it eliminate all touch from our lives? Eliminating all touch from our lives is way too far, in my opinion. Like, I'd rather get sick than never touch anyone again. I don't know about that. I, I, <laughs> I would not want to get sick. I'd rather, listen, uh, the thing is, touch is very um, necessary part of human interaction uh there's plenty of studies where babies that don't get touched you know by human hands they just end up dying and things like i, I mean i don't know the exact study oh, yeah. but oh, you're right leads to yeah some some pretty drastic differences exactly exactly it, it, it would be very strange right um it's it's been a social construct from you know whether you believe in evolution or not or you believe in the way society has changed or not um, you know, over the years, it's just been a societal kind of norm to shake hands, right? Yeah. Um, in in most cultures, if if fist bumping replaces it, um, you know, so be it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, this is not the worst pandemic that the world has went through, and handshaking has, you know, given the previous pandemics, it hasn't been something that people have just uh, done away with. So, yeah. I, I think I think we'll be fine shaking hands i mean obviously he doesn't want to see another pandemic or something like this happen again but yeah. saying that we'll never shake hands is just absolutely ridiculous yeah yeah i agree um and to go back to wuhan ending its lockdown how'd you feel about it did you um agree with it did you um like i mean i just believe listen china's huge right it's a huge it's a huge area right so the numbers that they are presenting um i mean as 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 much as i want to say i don't believe them i don't know maybe maybe their response was uh great you know maybe they have again in their government when you're told not to go outside 
everybody follows it because they know the, the, the direct consequences. So maybe in, you know, for a totalitarian state, given this pandemic, they were able to shut down Wuhan right when they got a sniff of what was going on in terms of the, the, the virus. And then, you know, for them to open it back up, I could only imagine that it is safe. Maybe the city was locked down. They were able to disinfect everything during the lockdown while everybody was forced to stay at home. And because of that, they're able to open it back up. So, I mean, I am not there, but, you know, if they're claiming that nobody else has gotten sick, then opening up the city was uh, the right decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with you. Um, They took way more serious measures than the U.S. Like, uh, most of our restrictions are kind of soft. But like uh, you were saying, they were um, forcing people to stay indoors um, to keep it from spreading and getting worse. They probably did the best as far as, like, uh, making sure people were practicing social distancing and so on. Exactly. And and people are afraid of the government over there, right? So when they say stay home, right, it becomes an actual kind of, like, you are afraid to go outside, right? <laughs> um, here in the U.S., it's just it's just a free for all. People are still going on spring break. <laughs> People were in, in Florida or Miami, where the case may be, and all these spring breakers were going, you know, to their separated. I mean, to 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 their designated states, right? Because yeah. in our government, each state has its own laws, and there's federal laws, and it's hard for things to pass because, you know. The, the every single state is governed differently, right? And there's literally no... You can't lock down a state because in the U.S., it's not like, you know, if you say California is on quote-unquote lockdown, that doesn't mean that I can't just drive my car to Oregon, you know, or, or drive my car to, you know, whatever other state that I wanted to or take a, a flight there, whatever the case may be. So there's no real lockdowns possible um, because of the way that our government is set up. They were able to lock down Wuhan because that's the way the government said. When they say nobody's coming in and out of here, that's exactly what it meant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I heard of Australia's um, low case number also being because they shut down the borders. They completely stopped people from entering Australia, and uh, supposedly it made a really big difference. Their seasons are also different, so um, as like the weather gets colder, they might experience more of it, but yeah, they completely shut it down, and the number of cases is drastically low. I believe the number of deaths is like um, maybe the teens or the single digits, so yeah. Um, so yeah, um, with so much of the disease repercussions seeming bleak, um, some reason to be optimistic is still out there. Recent studies are finding ways to improve the conditions of people with COVID-19. 200 milliliters of convalescent plasma from people to recently recover from COVID-19 is being used to lessen symptoms, improve oxygen levels, and expedite the viral clearance of people dealing with it. So like convalescent plasma is like the plasma from blood. So people's blood plasma is being used to treat people. So after trying treatment on 10 patients dealing with the repercussions of COVID-19, all stopped being critically ill um, between one and three days after being treated so supposedly it's working but it takes more people to recover for um the plasma to be yeah used but yeah last week i mentioned um hotels losing business due to um a lack of travel and stuff but we might start to see the businesses opening their doors to the homeless city officials in la 
They're trying to secure 15,000 rooms of these idled lodges for the people of the city looking for some place to stay. One place right south right outside of Century City was already at the forefront making uh, more than 60 of its rooms available over the course of the past few weeks. 1,700 rooms in LA are already secured for this upcoming week. So yeah, it looks like um, the people dealing with um, like hardships as far as like staying um, outdoors, like people being homeless and stuff or being given some place to stay. Um, I mean, like, the COVID-19 um, situation occurred right after um, we were talking about Gavin Newsom's State of the State address and his plan to basically end homelessness in California. So, like, it, it, it kind of all got put on pause as we were dealing with COVID-19. But it looks like, um, yeah, people are still being um, caring. People are still caring and so on um, for the people dealing with um problems and so on so yeah it's good to see and after the COVID-19 stuff ends maybe um, the plans for ending homelessness might continue so yeah um, how'd you like uh, the idea of places opening their open rooms for people during the crisis <laughs> they don't have a choice man they're not making any money so <laughs> the best thing that they can do for themselves right now is give some good PR and I think opening up <laughs> um, you know your hotel or whatever to homeless people is like oh we're not, nobody's here anyway so might as well yeah. uh, give them a place to stay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah, um, the U.S. unemployment tallies are still bad and expected to be at, like, 13%. And tragically, some of the workers at the places staying open through quarantine are starting to become infected. Dozens of grocery workers contacted COVID-19 over the past few weeks, and some already died. So, um, strikes actually started this past Wednesday. Or Thursday, I ought to say. This past Thursday, some strikes started for up to 50 California res restaurants, including Burger King, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, Subway, Wobble Grill, El Pollo Loco, and Popeyes, with employees striking for uh, supplies like masks, gloves, soap, um, an extra $3 an hour for hazard pay, and two weeks of sick pay for people dealing with symptoms. So, yeah, the people um, working in the grocery stores especially i guess um since like people go inside of the grocery stores and go to the lines and so on um places like walmart and like target and stuff like that people they are dealing with um yeah like getting sick and stuff like that because they are contacting so many more people they are probably seeing hundreds of people per day on average and they are way more at risk and it's starting to yeah be seen as people are starting to get sick and some and yeah it makes sense for the people to start to strike for um the things like masks and gloves and so on because it is for their safety um they want to go to a safe workplace environment um because if they are safe they are more likely to keep the people they interact with safe and so on so yeah it makes sense for the people to uh, request and strike for the utensils used for safety so yeah bank of america reported on practically 200,000 applications from country from companies trying to apply for sustenance loans and in two days will fargo wells fargo reached its cap of 10 billion dollars in small business loans so um the banks are getting plenty of people and plenty of companies i ought to say applying for loans just for sustenance i mean 
the companies are losing business, so the sustenance loans um, are set to keep them going through um, to go with after the um, epidemic is over. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, places are dealing with plenty of struggles, and we are kind of just trying to find ways to um, like keep the water back to to keep businesses going. Businesses are trying to keep going. Um, through the epidemic and try to make it out of it to try to get back to business right after it. So yeah, um, for episode 12, um, we discussed the $2 trillion stimulus package, and I was saying it was only for unemployed people, but um, recent news uh, proved me wrong, and I'm going to kind of just reevaluate and um, re-explain um, the ways people are eligible, and so on. So eligibility is for income qualifications um, based off of the most recent tax returns of a person dating back to 2018. Uh -huh. So uh, they are for people's 2018 and 2019 taxes. So if someone finished their 2019 taxes um, already, um, they are going to be eligible according to their 2019 taxes. But if they are still yet to finish their 2019 taxes, their eligibility is from 2018. So um, $1,200 of aid money is scheduled to be sent out, or $1,200 or so um, is set out to uh, be scheduled to be sent out um, as checks or direct deposit to as many as 93.6% of tax filers. So, like most people the high majority of tax filers and so on yeah, so, so some if restrictions not a, if you're not a drug dealer you should be getting a stimulus check so yeah basically just all the people to file their taxes um with less than the capped amount so i'm going to explain some more so some restrictions are set to receive money with people being ineligible um, with earnings of more than ninety-nine thousand per year as an individual um Neither will adults listed as dependents on someone else's tax returns or people lacking social security numbers. So, yeah, the ineligible people are the people uh, making $99,000 or more than 19 or more than $99,000 or more than $99,000. I'm messing up so much on the words <laughs> for this episode. But, yeah, people making more than $99,000 per year are ineligible and also adult dependents. Um, and people lacking social security numbers. So residents with social security numbers with earnings of up to $75,000 per year are eligible to receive up to $1,200 total, I believe, with deductions for every $5, uh, or with deductions of $5 for every $100 earned over the 75 um, K limit. So if somebody were to make um, 75.1K, uh, like $75,100, they're going to receive $1,195 and it keeps on deducting, right, for each $100 after the $75,000 limit. So payments are doubled for jointly filed tax returns with eligibility ending at $198,000. So basically $100,000 and $200,000 for two people are the limits. Um, parents of dependents below 16 years of age are to receive an extra $500. Uh, 
um, single parents finally as the head of the household are eligible to receive the full $1,200 with incomes of up to um, $112,500. So um, the income cap is way more for um, single parents filing as the head of the household. Um, and it also shrinks by $5 for every $100 more, and it's capped at $136,500. Um, and the parents also qualify for the $500 per dependent under 16 years old. So um, even the unemployed and people lacking income are eligible, like I was saying. Um, if their payment information is sent to the IRS through their web portal on irs.gov. So payments are expected to be sent out before April 24th and we're even getting um, directly deposited into people's bank accounts on Saturday, April 11th. Um, but some might wait longer depending on like the posted situation and so on. So payments started going out on Saturday, April 11th and they are set to um, just keep on going until the people receive the money, I guess. So, um, yeah, how do you like the stimulus package um, and the way it's explained and the way it's supposed to be, yeah, That's how set I'm, I'm waiting for my check, man. That's it. <laughs> and my check is, I don't know what they want us to use the check for, right? <laughs> it's just, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna buy a TV or try to pump money back into the economy if that's what they think is gonna happen with my stimulus check. This my check is going straight to savings. Okay. All right. I, I think they expect people to buy things with the twelve hundred dollars, but people are just gonna be trying to sustain, <laughs> I guess, their lives until everything's over. Yeah. 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 I mean, the stimulus package is set for basically for people to use it as sustenance um it's for the people dealing with like some type of then, financial struggle yeah then call it then call it what it is it's not mm -hmm. stimulus right it's going to stimulate what nothing we're not stimulating anything St okay. are we stimulating sustenance no stimulus bills and things like that as well as to inject money back into the economy so businesses can do good and the economy can you know bounce back it's not what's happening here what's going to happen is people are going to get this money People are going to try to maintain their current level of living as, um, you know, and people that are living well already, they're not planning on buying anything because if they have money, they've been smart with their money, they're probably just going to put it into their savings accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like you're saying, if um, people are trying to, like, sustain their form of living, just $1,200 probably isn't going to do it it's not going to do it uh, right and, yeah. and and it's not like they're going to take that 1200 and buy things with it that are, are necessary right so mm -hmm. they're, they're just gonna just kind of go towards groceries and i mean whatever the case may yeah. be um mm -hmm. or, or savings like you said yeah or, or savings um, yeah yeah so yeah yeah so yeah um all right so um with like um plenty of people probably getting kind of like angsty i guess um, and, um, like with like recommendations for the lockdown to maybe even go on, it looks like, um, some parts of the country are tr tr like basically up for speculation as to whether they're going to be open before the end of the month or at the end of the month, the month of April. So Trump, um, is actually looking to reopen just some parts of the country. Um, the United Kingdom 
like um, Great Britain and stuff. Um, I believe they already set like some type of model for it where they only were letting out um, essential workers and people in like their 20s and stuff, people, non-dependent people in their 20s living on their own and stuff. Um, so yeah, um, it's kind of up for speculation as to whether the country is going to open up completely at the end of this month, but some is at least expected um, to maybe be open like during like early May or right at the end of April. So and the CDC set some guidelines for safe practices for returning to regular life, um, including um, increased testing, um, very aggressive contact tracing of people with positive tests, with quarantines and monitoring of the people they were close to, tests for the contacts traced until the people or until the positive test ring of people ends. So basically contact tracing uh, means like um, if someone tests positive, they go and test all the people they usually interact with. And then if someone else tests positive, they also test all the people they usually interact with. And it's just like a chain of circular uh, tests and so on. So if um, the country were to recreate the Wuhan model for contact tracing, um, 18 hundred um, epidemiologist teams of at least five people so five times 18 is like 80,000 or so um, it's like yeah it's like 80,000 or so um, would um, trace uh, tens of thousands of contacts per day so yeah in Wuhan 1800 epidemiologists um, with at least five people on each team were tracing thousands uh, or tens of thousands of contacts per day. So like I was saying, they were keeping the chain going. If one person were to get it, they were like, uh, who do you usually interact with? And they tested all the people uh, they interacted with and all the people the people uh, uh, recently tested were um, interacting with were also tested and it just kept going. It was just like, yeah, like a long circle of people interacting with people. So yeah, 90,000 would be the number of 1,800 times five, so 90,000. Um, so yeah, um, how do you feel about the country reopening during May? I think it's stupid, I already said before, they need to, <laughs> it's over, 2020's done. Just wait till the vaccine comes out before trying to do anything. I'm just, uh, I, I don't agree with it <laughs> at all. Um, but in my perspective, they want to send out, you know, if they want to do what Great Britain did and send out young people to do work and things like that, so be it. But um, with, you know, you just said grocery stores and all these things are going on strike. Uh, I think it's going to be, I don't know, it's not going to be good. Just wait till everything is, is uh, at least wait till the summer. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, to see if the weather makes a difference. Yeah, wait, wait till the heat comes and, and see if that changes things. But apart from that, I would just hold off and, I mean, there's not much that that can be done business-wise or economically. Just hold off on people gathering until there's a vaccine or, or, or something. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. So yeah. basically, if you send out all the young people, you're sending it out on the notion that if they get sick, they'll be able to survive, right? That's why it's you know, young people, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. Right? Okay, so 
you want to put young people at risk, <laughs> right? Yes, sir. You, you, it was like if you guys get infected, it's I just don't agree. I mean, when you look, when you when you not not talking about reading into it, but it's just um, uh, it's a little bit shameful to do something like that. It's like, well, you know, we need the economy to keep going, so you young people get out there. Uh, I know it's risky, but uh, we need uh, you guys to work so the economy doesn't collapse, right? I mean, it's just like, so you want me to get sick to fix your problems? Or to fix the world's problems, I don't know. I feel like there should be a better, I don't know, a better scenario. Okay, so yeah, sending out the people um, in their 20s or 30s or so, um, like you were saying, would be putting them at risk. But they are um, the people with like the most likelihood to be okay after it, like you were saying. Uh -huh. So yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. If you want to keep um, people from being quarantined for too long... Um, they are the people I would expect to be the people at least starting out, going out into the public space and so on. So, yeah, um, like it, it, it taking any longer than like two more months for um, people to start like getting back into like the regular parts of life um, seems like it might be difficult for people, but it might work. Um, it just depends, like you're saying, if during the summer people um, feel more comfortable because they think um, the heat might keep them from getting sick. Um, so be it, and it might work. Um, but yeah, we're just waiting for it. we got like two more weeks of waiting to figure out if we're going to be um, allowed to um, go out like we usually used to, like with the amount of places being open and so on um, during May. So yeah, um, so I'm done with just given the regular update for the second topic we are going to discuss the demographics of COVID-19 and so um, just started out on the CDC released a study of um, 2,449 cases during mid-March to give some data on the age range differences of cases for COVID-19 so the case numbers um, were the highest for the people between the ages of 20 and 44. So kind of surprising. Uh, maybe it was because the age group was um, with the largest number of people, like the largest number of people to be part of the test were the people uh, between 20 and 44. So it made sense for them to be um, the case total number with the most. Um, but the hospitalizations, ICU rate, and mortality rate um, were all the lowest for the people between 20 and 44. The age data gave us the results um, we were speaking of before. Um, during previous episodes, we were talking about the elderly dealing with the most detrimental effects. So during the study of the CDC, the elderly were still dealing with the most detrimental effects. Um, in some countries, um, with larger numbers of people um, being part of like an assisted living atmosphere, death rates might end up being more um, if the numbers of or four case rates and death rates of the elderly continue to stay the same. So like the CDC's test from mid-March basically just told uh, the elderly being the most susceptible of the people they tested. Like um, we believe before, like when we were first talking about it, we were talking about people with compromised immune systems and people um, of older age being more at risk. So as far as the numbers of people younger than 60 go, 95% um, of New York City 
uh, death cases for people under 60 years old or to people with underlying health conditions. So the only people are like the larger majority of people, like the way larger majority of people to die from it in New York City um, with um, healthy backgrounds um, were so much less. So basically the only people are the main number of people um, dealing with it and dying from it in New York City under the age of 60 were people with underlying health conditions. So yeah, the CDC basically just told what um, people expected and they basically told out the numbers um, going the way they were already reporting them. So um, the reason why babies and toddlers um, becoming sick um, or being less likely to struggle with the disease may be because of the lack of development to their lungs since their lungs are so young basically they're still learning to create an immune response and um, during like um, diseases like COVID-19 or pneumonia the body tries to stop the disease by flooding the lungs with uh, what are called cytokines so since the young people or like the babies or the toddlers are yet to develop the um, uh, ways of immunity to fill the lungs with cytokines, uh, they are less likely to experience the fluid-filled lungs, and they are less likely to basically drown because of um, the fluid filling their lungs. So um, the younger people um, still growing into immunity is actually keeping them safe. So yeah, um, black Americans are dealing with um, a disproportionately large ratio of numbers of cases and death totals so with numbers dating back to the end of march to the beginning of april so basically over the past like two weeks or so in michigan 40 or 14 percent or 14.1 percent of the population is black in michigan but 40 percent of the virus's deaths were of black people um, in one county um, it's the county of Washtenaw, like 50% of the hospitalizations were of black people, with its population only being like 11% black. Um, in the state of Illinois, the infection rate is twice the rate of the black population of 14%. So like the infection rate is like 29% um, for blacks, but the black population is only like 14%. And 41.2% of deaths in the state or of blacks um, so even with only 14 percent of people being black 41 percent um, of the deaths are to blacks. so 67 percent of chicago blacks are to deaths and milwaukee's black population accounted for 81 percent of the deaths with only 26 percent of the total population so the numbers of blacks dealing with it um, the number of blacks being hospitalized for it uh, being confirmed as um, people with cases of COVID-19 and especially the number of deaths, like the death rate is way more for blacks. So blacks are dealing with um, the COVID-19 in some areas way worse. Um, in New York City, 29.1% of people are Latino, but they represent 45.8% of cases. Um, one third of Louisiana's population is black, but 70% of its deaths are to black people. The county surrounding New Orleans is 60.2% black, but it's 892.1 cases per 100,000 people, 
was greater than any infection rate of New York City, L.A., and Miami combined. So, like, the infection rates of the three cities I just said um, are less than the infection rate of blacks in um, the counties surrounding New Orleans. So 30 miles west of New Orleans is the county of St. John and Baptist Parish um, with a black population of like 57.8%. And so if we were to exclude the countries with only one death, their death rate is the second most in the nation with 39.1 deaths per 100 thousand people um with all of like um the numbers going the way they are michigan is making a racial disparity task force um to try to reappropriate the problem or to, to stop it reappropriate i meant like to stop the problem um so yeah um just like initially um how surprised are you are you surprised how do you feel about the number of blacks especially being the people going to the hospital and being um, confirmed and dying from COVID-19? Uh, I don't know, man. There's so many factors <clears throat> that can play into this. So, um, you know, it's, it's a virus. <laughs> so the virus pretty much affects people the same way. Um, it's, I don't think it's affecting blacks or African-Americans any differently than it's affecting anybody else. Uh, my thoughts are, uh, initially, without any research or um, without any, uh, I don't know, sense of me looking into the situation, without any numbers involved, I'm just going to look at history. Maybe they're just not getting the same treatment as other people racist maybe they're getting treated worse maybe they're just yeah. getting maybe they're getting left to die maybe they're not being taken as seriously um that's what i'm thinking about uh, and that and, yeah. that and that just goes based off of my historical understanding of how american society has treated african-americans so you can say that black people are dying at a higher rate yeah sure right is the cause the virus or is the cause they're just not getting treated the same, right? Yeah. Go ahead. The financial difference. Yeah. So basically, yeah, um, to some extent, um, all of the numbers I was just discussing and um, what you were just saying all reflect basically the poverty rate in the U.S. Um, with the number of blacks and Hispanics and Latinos experiencing the highest rates of impoverishment. So like people being impoverished. Um, being like um, without any type of medical insurance or so on um, would lead to it being worse to them during situations like this. So um, basically just to explain some poverty rates of the 38.1 million Americans reported as living in poverty for the 2019 census, 41.2% um, were white or Caucasian, 27.5% were Hispanic or Latino, and 23.4 were black or African-American. So I just kind of flipped the numbers. Um, did I surprise you? The The highest number, as far as, like, the percentage goes, is actually to Caucasians. The the most impoverished people, or the, the highest number, mm -hmm. is actually to Caucasians. So, yeah, but... Um, there's reasonings as to why. So the totality of numbers give the picture of 
the majority of impoverished people being Caucasian. But since the nation is like 73% Caucasian, the ratios um, for the minority backgrounds are actually way less. So since 73% of the country, like three quarters of the country is Caucasian, the numbers are actually kind of skewed. 73% are impoverished, but only, or I apologize, 73% are um, basically in the country, but only 41% of the total number of impoverished people is 41%. So if we were to go by the ratios, 20.8% um, of African Americans are impoverished, 17.6% of Hispanic or Latinos are impoverished, and 8.1% of Caucasians are impoverished. So yeah, um, the total numbers are um, to Caucasians, but the rates for each racial group is different. More than twice the number as far as the rate goes of blacks or African Americans are impoverished, and it's also twice as much for uh, Hispanics and Latinos. So yeah, the numbers might seem kind of skewed if you were to just look at the percentages of the impoverished people, but like within each section, way more of the African Americans, as far as like rate goes, one fifth of African Americans are impoverished, and eight percent of Caucasians are impoverished. So it's it's more than twice more. It's almost it's almost three times more. Uh -huh. So yeah, so yeah. Um, Basically, yeah, like you were saying, um, the lack of uh, medical attention and so on and the lack of um, financial stability um, because of so on and so much um, to blacks is probably the reason why the numbers of people in places like Michigan and Louisiana, um, as far as the blacks go, are dealing with it so badly. So, yeah, um, it's just one more um soapbox to stand on for um rights and so on uh -huh. so yeah but yeah um yeah it's it's tragic i mean like um as sad as it is to say it's not very surprising what is, uh, yeah, i mean we're just supposed to do can't do anything about it man it's how it's been for centuries now so yeah 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 so yeah um just the quick look at the demographics so for our third topic, we are going to discuss ways to stay motivated and successful. Uh, Sam, did you come up with any um, ways or reasons? Oh, to stay motivated and successful? Yeah. Sure. I mean, the only <laughs> – so I kind of went through – kind of ventured down memory lane here. But for me, motivation and being successful was quantifiable when I was in school. When I was in college and high school, I was able to quantify my success, right? Okay. Yeah. You're able to, oh man, I got the highest grade on here, or I, you know, if you're in PE, you ran the fastest, <laughs> whatever the yeah. case may be, right? If you're in sports, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Able to quantify your success. As you get older, there's no real. And and if these were your motivators to be successful, right? As you get older, you realize that um, the only quantifying measure that people use after college is you know your your income or how much money you're making, right? And things like that. And these kinds of numbers they are unobtainable. You know, you can't just yeah. 
Okay, just ask your neighbor, oh, how much do you make per year? You can ask him what his job is, right? And you can mm -hmm. kind of guesstimate, right, how much he makes. He can be, you know, on the low end or the high end or whatever the case may be. Um, there's no real way for you to, you know, figure out, you know, for you to be in a, in a competition with people that are in your same kind of um, breadth, right? Yeah. Right? So... For me, it's just as I got older, I just have to compete with myself. I have to <laughs> I have to be better than I was the day before, right? And if okay. I and, and if I can do that, if I can be better than you know the the guy that was there yesterday, if yesterday I was un you know if I didn't accomplish all the goals that I needed to accomplish, yeah, hopefully I can accomplish them today. But as far as competing with other people, I believe that that's out the window, and I really have no way to quantify that because number one. It's not like grades on a test where you get an A and I get a B and the next time I'm trying to beat you, right? Um, you know, it's, it's about occupation and basically the only quantifiable value is, 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 is money, which I don't have access to your numbers, how much you're making, how much you're saving, and these mm -hmm. kinds of things. And even if I were to ask you how much you make, and how much people, a lot of people just lie about it anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> For some people, um, it's an uncomfortable question. Like, yeah. people aren't really okay with answering it. Like... Like you were saying, I wouldn't just go to my neighbor and ask him how much money he makes. Exactly. Because so, it would seem kind of rude. Yeah, exactly. It would seem kind of rude. But for me to be competitive, for for my, for me to be motivated, right? I mm. would, I would, you know, in the past need those numbers, but now it's just, you know, just be better than you were yesterday. But yeah, like you were saying, um, um, just like as like a side part um basically um do you think it's right for people to kind of keep like their um, earning secret like if people are keeping their earning secret it might actually lead to like um more disparagement and so on because like um if someone is making so much and they aren't telling people and someone is making so much less and they aren't telling people like it might just keep the problem going of one person making way less than someone else. So. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Disparity between I, incomes. I mean, I mean if, if we want to, we want to get into the economical. Um, uh, I guess. Uh, oh, the consequences. Of uh, the economical consequences of it. And yeah, of course, that's an issue, especially in terms yeah. of like men and women. But let me let me tell you something. Even husbands and wives lie to each other about how much they make. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Husband might say he makes this much. They might have a joint account, but little does she know that he is saving, you know, or she is saving some amount of money on the side, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Unbeknownst to the other person. So I just, yeah. I just believe um, once you, once you get out of a, a state or an institution that requires you to, you know, yeah. state, you know, exactly your success. Um, in terms of a grade or in terms of a speed or in terms of how well you're doing an activity, people people really never wanted to do that thing in the first place. So as soon as that parameter or that restri or, or that uh, what's it called? I wouldn't call it a restriction or that requirement is gone, of course they're gonna lie about it or they just don't speak about it. And yes, it would cause disparity and it does cause disparity. Um, that's why a lot of private companies they say, uh, you shouldn't talk to each other about how much you make because number one that protects the company right and number two yeah um, 
it basically makes everybody feel like they're on the same equal level and they're probably not you don't know if the person that's working your same job um, argued for a um, different salary you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah so um, were you gonna give any more tips or secrets or um stuff? the only other secret that I can give the only other tip that I can give is motivation um, if you want to be successful um, you can take it from if you look at athletes a lot of athletes say this it's uh, at least for me a lot of people within my age group they say that they've lost motivation to do things um, mm-hmm. but if you're in athletics and, and uh, or, or something similar it's it's motivation um, you need to equate to not like you know oh I am motivated and, and think that is some kind of aspirational um, thing that you need to to be doing and you wake up every morning and you just are motivated to you know to do this one thing or whatever the case may be it can't be it's not inherently a good feeling motivation isn't a good feeling motivation needs to be equated to um, a chore right if you think of if you think of motivation as chores right then you will hopefully be successful I think I, I remember a quote I don't, I don't remember who 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 it I mean, who said the quote, but they basically equated their football practice to they wake up every morning, right, and they treat it as a chore, right? If Like, mm-hmm. when, when you're younger and your mother gives you chores to do, you have to do them, right? Or the yeah. consequence is you getting in trouble, right? Yeah. Now, if you use motivation in that, in that same kind of realm, then if you get up and you don't go to practice, if you're not running drills, if you're not doing this to you know perfect your game there will be consequences so if you think of motivation um not in the the usual sense of whenever i think of people saying motivation it's like this some kind of uh spiritual thing that happens to you every morning you're just motivated to get up and do something if you think of motivation as a chore right and you you wake up in the morning is like i really don't want to do this today right but i have to do it right and the main consequence of me doing this is success and the consequence of me not doing this is you got to think about it as a chore is your mother hitting you <laughs> or disciplining you or, or something like that yeah. if, you, if you put yeah. motivation in that context um then a, a, and you think of it as a chore like i believe that you will be successful because you're going to wake up in the morning and yeah some days you might want to go and do the thing that you are passionate about but some days you may not want to do it. Some days you, you may feel lazy or something like that. But if you think of motivation as a chore and you think of more of something that you have to do as opposed to something that you want to do, then um, I believe success in whatever you're trying to pursue or whatever you're trying to use that motivation to um, succumb or accomplish um, is, is going to be a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with you. Um, staying motivated is about sometimes seeing um the not doing it part as worse than the doing it part so like for some people some people like you're saying athletes some athletes um are more motivated to not lose than they are to win so sometimes um the motivation to get it done is yeah from the fear of the consequences um but caring about the process and doing something you enjoy is also part of it. Um, so I'm just going to read some of mine. Uh, mine, um, 
uh, for staying motivated and successful are figure out what you like to do, figure out what you like doing for people. So um, be good at something you like to do for people, because if like you're really good at something you like to do for people, it'll be easier for you to be okay with doing it, right? Um, set goals and parameters for what it means to be satisfied. Um, so set your goals. Um, be like, um, if I'm here at some point, at some point in my life, um, I am satisfied or I will be satisfied or so on and so forth. Um, figure out ways to sustain your activity and make more of whatever you're trying to achieve. So figure out ways to sustain it and make it um, more available to you. So be like uh, the viruses, replicate yourself, replicate your opportunities, replicate um, your just ways of keeping on doing um, what you're doing, what you're trying to be successful at doing and what you're already successful at doing. So um, number five, um, if you enjoy being better than most, it's something popular amongst people, prioritize it and figure out ways to minimize all else. So if you like something um, everybody else likes, you got to put more time in. You got to make it like your only activity. If, if everyone likes it, you got to be always on it. You got to you got to set all else aside and so on. So um, if you like something popular, make it like your number one thing. Um, ask for guidance from people with experience. Be willing to be open about it. Um, ask the people you like and care about if they think your wants and goals meet the criteria of their opinion of the best you. So yeah, ask some people you care about, like, um, is it smart for me to try such and such? Because like, um, basically they see you and they see parts of your life and um, you might like feel like you want to do something, but they might kind of guide you towards something better for you. Um, study the craft. So like study your craft, um, learn of it. Um, be willing to uh, be taught, um, be like a good listener and a good learner. Um, and lastly, use your accomplishments as outlines for your way of future success. So if you succeeded at something before and it looks like it's going to work again, go for it again. Um, sometimes success replicates itself and it's just like the same type of cycle and ongoing success. So yeah, if something is working, um, maybe keep on trying it. So yeah, I'm all done with my steps to staying motivated. Um, I definitely um, lack some of the traits I just explained, but um, maybe you'll learn from my um, ideas and so on. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess we're done with our third topic and ready to go to our extra topic. Usually our extra topic is kind of outside of the current news cycle, um, but it's still kind of like relevant and so on. So for our extra topic, we're going to discuss what happens to your brain when you check your phone right after you wake up. So um, I'm just going to read from some articles from Wim, Bustle, and Positive Prescription. So I'm just going to tell us some stuff from... Um, the sites I just mentioned. So um, surveys tell of about 46 to 61% of people checking their phones within five minutes of waking up. Sam, do you usually check your phone within five minutes of waking up? Yeah, I have to. I, I need to figure out if I need to work or not. I check emails. Yeah. And if some email says, hey, Sam, I got a question about this. 
uh, and I got that about 20 minutes ago. I should respond to that before I get fired. So, yeah. Um, apart from like social media and stuff, I don't really check that. I usually just, uh, during the week day, I just check for emails. And for the most part, it's not really, I mean, sometimes I keep the notification bell on or whatever. Um, so mm-hmm. if I do get an email, it usually wakes me up. Yeah, well, my alarm wakes me up. It's from my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I only occasionally, like, um, on my days off or, like, um, on some weekends and stuff, I'll go, like, right to my phone after I wake up. I usually try to eat or uh, get cleaned up and stuff before I usually, um, yeah, get to my phone. But, yeah, um, so... Um, the main studies were on the way uh, the phone's blue light which is the screen's light um and the way it affects the brain so um some good effects in 2007 the journal of neurotransmission identified exposure to blue light as improving cognitive performance in 2011 the journal of applied physiology told of its strong melatonin suppression effects melatonin basically um, regulates sleep cycle like melatonin like makes people sleepier sometimes people use it to try to sleep more so it's suppressed melatonin um in 2016 the journal uh sleep told of observed um small periods of exposure um leading to beneficial effects on working memory performance so blue light was good for memory it suppressed melatonin and it improved cognitive performance so yeah, some parts of it are good. Some parts of blue light are good. It keeps people from falling asleep, um, and um, it improves cognitive performance, maybe even like memory and stuff. So yeah, some bad effects. Um, some British survey of um, 2,000 linked checking emails immediately after waking up to greater stress levels. In a related study, people were told to check their emails frequently for one week, then only check it three times per day the following week, and their stress decreased after their mood or and their moves, their moods improved. Um, EQ consulting recognized waking up to phones causing feelings of paranoia, worry, fear, anger, and irritability, um, which all led to an um, immune or an immune system um, of like a weakened state, so a weakened immune system. Um, so overall, um, it looks like there's some good and there's some bad to it. Before um, reading um, from the websites, I basically only either read of or heard of like the bad parts of um, the phones of blue light. I figured it was going to be bad for my eyes. I figured I was going to read something like, oh, it's bad for your eyes to look at your phone so early. Um but yeah, did you read anything you want to discuss, Sam? Yeah, <clears throat> they sell these blue light glasses or like lens crafters, all these things. They say, you know, wear these blue light lenses. They don't do anything. Oh, that's what I read. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, um, actually, blue light is actually um, part of the sun also. So the, the sun emits blue light uh-huh. and uh, it's used to regulate circadian rhythm. So like um, your ebb and flow to going to sleep and so on. So, yeah. Yep. So yeah. Um, basically 
Um, some good and some bad is to looking at your phone super early. Um, I kind of like um, getting some stuff done or like getting up at least before I really um, get to looking at stuff. But yeah, mm. I like I like looking at my phone and seeing an email that doesn't pertain to me, and then falling back asleep for another couple hours. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, so yeah, we're all done with our topics. Um, we made it through our three regulars and our extra topic. Um, so basically, um, usually to end our episode, uh, we usually bring some type of tangent, uh, maybe on topic, maybe off topic for, um, us. And, uh, so I already got done with our tangent and I'm going to, um, add it to our episode, um, it's going to be an original song from me. Um, so yeah, um, maybe you'll like it. Um, like I'm not like the best musician, but, um, I'm going to put it up for y'all. And so, yeah, um, I guess we're going to get ready to like exit out of our episode. Um, maybe enjoy my song. I'll probably put an extra song after it. So y'all listen to some good music after me. So, yeah, um, I appreciate it. Um, enjoy your week. And, uh, yeah, be ready for episode 15. All right. Sounds good. All right. Peace. Welcome to this life I live. All I am to you I give. See me just for who I am Instead of all your old time plans Opening up myself to you Free of covers and only true I'll set down my last few plus If for you I am enough And as you see me For who I am All else will make sense too Expectations will fall right through if as I am is good for you. And if I'm here to stay, break down your boundaries, throw all cares away. And if I'm here, for you be you and I'll be me and we'll enjoy our time together maybe you want the same for me you as you yourself so free Being as you truly want Flaunting the best way you are
if I fail to see your grace. Of course, someone else will take my place. So if you're scared to open up, just realize you're hearing enough. And as you see me for who I am, all else will make sense too. Expectations will fall right through if as I am is good for you. And if I'm here to stay, break down your boundaries, throw old cares away, and if I'm here, for you be you and I'll be me and we'll enjoy our lives together